Hey guys, welcome back to the HBM podcast. Today I'm excited to announce we got Cal Desange in the building for the pod. I'm so excited to have Cal in here. How are you doing, brother? I'm doing absolutely fantastic. Thank you. How, where do we start, man? Where do we start? Policing, right? So you got into policing um, back in 2000, right? Yep, you got it. 2000, and you've been doing it for now almost 23, it's 23 years now coming yeah, up, right? Yeah, 100%. Right? How has it been? How's the journey been? You know what, brother? It has been absolutely transformational. It really mm. has. I think when, I'll just get into a brief history of it. When I oh. first got on the job, <clears throat> I had no intentions of getting into policing. To be honest with you, I was on my way to law school. Oh, oh. that makes sense because your degree was in psychology and... Uh, Criminsic. Yeah. And so, but I always wanted to go to law school. I think, uh, alluding to our previous conversation, is that Punjabi parents want their kids to either become a doctor, yeah, a lawyer, lawyer, or an engineer, engineer. Yeah, a staple right? job. And so, yeah, hundred percent. Is that yeah. why you wanted to do it back then? Be a lawyer? It was a combination of various factors. Yeah, uh, I was always uh, fascinated by the adversarial nature of law, mm-hmm. uh, but combined with the fact that, yeah, sure, the way that you can pressure. spin a story anyway. One way somebody might be a very terrible person, somebody with different skills can make them sound like. But above and beyond that, like from a. From that perspective alone, mm-hmm. mine, uh, I always had a very strong sense of justice, yeah. as uh, very cliche as that sounds, but growing up in a very traditional, uh, sick family, yeah. uh, my entire family is a Maritari. Okay. So growing up in a very traditional, sick family, I would grow up with stories about Guru Gobind Singh and uh, the sacrifices that were made. And, mm. uh, and I think what fascinated me so much about the warriors in our culture, the Baba Deep Singhs, uh, the Baba Banda Singh Bahadurs, was that they always stood up for righteousness. Exactly. They always protected the weak and the poor. And uh, you know what? Growing up with those kind of stories, it becomes ingrained in you. Uh, you yeah. get instilled with those principles and values. And growing up with those strong principles and values, because I grew up as a Sardar. Yeah. And so... Uh, in that respect, I think going to law school was that, uh, you know what, my, my grades uh, were good enough that I knew that I could make it. Hmm. And, uh, so in preparation for my LSAT, which is the exam that you need to complete in order to go to law school, uh, I had the grades in university. Uh, I was finishing up my last year uh, in the CRIM program, and I was getting prepping for my LSAT. And then this opportunity came up called the RCMP Summer Student Constable Program. Right. And so I was thinking, you know what, why not? Because if I, even if I did go to law school, it was always my intentions to go into the prosec- uh, prosecutorial side of yeah. the criminal justice system huh. as crown counsel. Mm-hmm. So why not understand the other side of that coin, which was law enforcement, right? Mm-hmm. So in that respect, I was um, always fit, uh, always playing sports. And so in the physical demands of the job I knew I could handle. So yeah. essentially what the Summer Student Constable program was is that it was a six-month crash course and they basically uh, put you in an academy and they taught you uh, legal uh, principles and rules and regulations surrounding policing mm-hmm. and they taught you basic combat skills. I already had the combat skills because I was already doing uh, kickboxing. Kickboxing. And so that was my background. Yeah. But uh, they taught you basic combat skills, grappling, fighting, punching, kicking. And they taught you to work with basic weapons. So mm-hmm. what they gave us was a flashlight, right. yeah. a pair of handcuffs, and a baton. <laughs> okay. That was it. So that's all we got. And uh, so they gave us a uniform, fit yeah. us out, a quick crash course, and threw us on the streets. Really? With a mentor. So the mentor was a senior police officer that was our field trainer, so to speak. Uh, yeah. And so I was posted to Surrey. And uh, this was back in 97. Very different time. 97, 98. And oh, 
trust me, it's crazy. Man, it was completely <laughs> different times. You guys would not believe it. How was it compared to what you expected going into that as uh, your age, going into it? You know what, policing? I'm telling you, man, it was like um, not a word of right, not a word of a lie. Like it was exhilarating. That's the only word that can describe it because I come from a very insulated background and I'm tremendously naive about mm. some of the stuff that's going on out there in the real world, right? Like I haven't been exposed to the drugs, the gangs, any of that sort of stuff, the stabbings, the fights, the assaults, you mm. name it. Like now you have, but back right? then. But back then, like mm. when I'm coming from a very insulated background and I'm thrown literally into the fire, like it's, it's yeah. what's called baptism by fire. Like either yeah. you, you sink or swim. And you're thrown into that, and I was like, "Oh my god! Like this is insane!" Yeah. Right? Like it's a, I was ch literally like running after bad guys. Yeah. I remember this one? Uh, <laughs> we had a uh, like a pursuit. Yeah. It was a police pursuit, and we were after a motorcyclist. A guy took off on his uh, on his bike. They think they're so fast, right? What well, he was? They he are was though, fast, that's and true. so the thing is, we had to set up. Uh, they set up um, blockade points and so on and so forth and perimeters. Huh. Right. And uh, he dumped his bike and he took off on foot. And okay. my field trainer just looks at me, he goes, go. <laughs> <laughs> That's go. it. Like, I, I'm like, <laughs> so those physical yeah, capabilities I, I don't recall coming. signing up for this. <laughs> or maybe I did. I did you know. get him? Uh, yeah. You know what? I chased really? him into, uh, it was a, it was parcel of forest. Yeah. And I chased him into the corner and then they brought in the dog. And oh. they took him into custody. Oh, okay. Can't but, run from uh, Cal. Can't run from Cal. Well, you know what? Listen <laughs> <laughs> up the podcast. <laughs> if you see this man on the street of yeah. Vancouver, do not run. Uh, you know, because Cal's a very big guy. He might not come off initially as being able to be very quick. Well, that's awesome that you pull it off. Yeah, you know what? It was uh, <laughs> over the years, unfortunately, powerlifting has taken its toll on my knees. But yeah. oh. you know what? It's uh, It was fun. And mm. But as soon as I finished that program, I was like, this is it. Right, mm -hmm. it's just uh, there is nothing else. like it, literally. You hear that saying, like it's a call of duty. Like that's what it yeah. is. Like internally, you feel this this call. That I think that's you, amazing. That sense of responsibility. Yeah. Right, and you gravitate in that direction. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it was just like it, I had this inherent pull that this is what I need to do. Like it, yeah. everyone has a purpose. It's just a matter of finding that purpose. And yeah. uh, I discovered it early. I'm grateful for that. And when you don't find that purpose is when you get so many people now you'll talk to and they'll be like, yeah, I'm in university, but I don't really know what I'm doing. They feel lost and so many things come in. But if you can find that purpose, I really think that's one of the biggest gifts. 100%. But speaking to that very point, mm -hmm. like we have a lot of senior volunteers that are part of the Kids Play Foundation that when they first started university in their first year, they said the same thing. They're like, we're lost. Yeah. Well, we don't know what we want to do. You're overwhelmed. And I explained to them the same thing that was told to me by my mentors. It's okay. Hmm. Yeah. Nothing wrong with that. Right. It's normal hmm. because not everyone has that sense of direction right away. Sometimes we need those trials and tribulations and those experiences and that knowledge comes with time. And it's always, the universe always has a plan. Yeah. I firmly believe sure. that there's no such thing as a coincidence. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so at some point in time, there will be some incidents or circumstances that are in your life that'll give you that direction, that'll give mm. you that push. When you look back, you see that. But in the moment, do you see that? I don't know. No, in the moment, Never. no. Like in the moment, there's going to be a remarkable amount of self-doubt. Yeah, 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 a remarkable yeah. amount. A remarkable yeah. amount. And on top of that, it doesn't help when you've got family and friends that are like, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 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 that's, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's, that's 
true, you bro. Become a lawyer, they're gonna be like, "Why didn't you become a judge?" Right? Yeah, <laughs> anything, man. Anything. Yeah, but the point crazy. being is like, this journey is yours, and mm. it's. I'll, I'll tell you right now, it's not like my parents were thrilled. Yeah, to become uh, a police officer. It's right? dangerous. They were like, yeah, they were like, "What?" Yeah. <laughs> right? So done an office job, sat behind a desk, nine to yeah, five. They're like, "Then no gigam, man." Right? Yeah, it's just. I think it comes from a part of they want the want the best for you in terms of job security, but they also probably fear like, okay, police officer dealing with criminals, you know putting your life on the line. I think it comes from a place of like, they want to keep you safe as well, right? That and also, believe it or not, when I say this to you, that they, their personal belief systems were essentially centered around the fact that they didn't think policing possessed any level of prestige. Because or where they or come status. from, it almost doesn't. It Well, of course. Yeah. Right? And I explain that to a lot of my fellow colleagues at work. They're like, hey, man, like, why, in the South Asian community, like, why is there such a distrust and hate of police? Huh. So, well, it essentially stems from the old country. Like, yeah. back in India, huh. it, it, there was a tremendous amount of systemic corruption. Still like that. Uh, that was, yeah. yeah, that was embedded mm. into the criminal justice system. Mm. And when they're coming from a background where cops are bribed... Right and like case, in broad daylight, in, case, in broad daylight, and cases are dropped. I'm like, of course, right? I mean, there's going to be a remarkable amount of distrust, and a lot of that also goes back to uh, what shortly happened after 1984. Right. Yeah. Right. So, in that level, uh, a lot of parents uh, would push their kids away from that line of work. It's like, no, you're uh. you're going to law school. You're not doing policing. But for me, I was very um, stubborn in that respect, and yeah. I was very steadfast. Where it was just like, no. That's that's my calling. That's what I'm gonna do. Yeah, and yeah. That's the end of that. That's the right? one thing that you could feel was that like being fulfilled from that calling. Whereas your parents, you were just going into the line alone. It's so overwhelming that yeah. the, that feeling that of that sense of purpose that you know that this is meant for you. Period. I think so too. Like it's just like you know, like this is it, do or die. I'm doing this. Yeah. Right. And I'm here's here I am, 23 years later. I wanted to ask though, um, just with something with policing, right? And going back to your parents as well, are they? I'm, I'm sure they're proud of you now, right? Obviously, with what you've accomplished so far and what you've done, right, over the last 23 years, like, you know? But um, what was some of the challenges of getting into policing for any, like, up-and-coming youth that thinking about, thinking about it as a career? Man, you cannot walk into it thinking it's a cakewalk, right? Yeah. Like, it's just anybody that is arrogant enough to believe that I got this, it's going to be easy, like, really, what's there to it? Yeah. No, you can't go in with that level of arrogance and attitude, huh. right? Like, it's very humbling experience. Yeah, where I had never shot before yeah. and using a firearm for the first time and tons and tons and tons of uh, legal information that you literally have to memorize. Mm. Combine that with learning um, how to interact in various scenarios mm. where like if this situation presents itself, how would you act? And there's, they actually bring in actors. And oh, so, really? yeah, really? You, ha you have to play out yeah. those scenarios because they want to see how you would react before yeah. they put you on the street, right? Yeah. Like, for example, suspect just talking to you, all of a sudden reaches in his pocket, pulls out a knife. That is very realistic. That is, yeah. Because these situations have happened to me on the street. Mm. But that training was absolutely first grade. It was, uh, it was tremendously remarkable. It was the best training. they could have done. The best they could have done because the thing is they've taken all the training principles from around the world the best of those principles mm. and they have best practices. And so when you're presented with this kind of situation, here's what we expect from you. If mm. you're presented with uh, situation B, here's what we expect from you. These situations are always fluid and dynamic. You can never really prepare uh, for any particular situation. Yeah. All you can do is learn the fundamentals 
and mentally, physically, psychologically be yeah. ready should that situation present itself. And I can share some of those stories with you if you like. Yeah, for yeah, sure. Because sure. there's always that X factor. Well, they'll train you what to do if X, Y, Z happens. But then you'll be there and there'll be that one thing that maybe wasn't taught to you, like that crazy scenario that happens. And it's a little bit crazier than what you might have planned for. 100%. So one particular scenario in the downtown east side was that we got a call that uh, one of the tenants uh, was being assaulted at one mm -hmm. of the SROs, which is the single room occupancy buildings. I think it was um, at the Balmoral. And this is the 100 block of East Hastings. So these are rundown buildings where you have these tenants uh, that are residing in these uh, buildings yep. uh, that are subsidized. Mm -hmm. And uh, a lot of times you have these predatory drug dealers, vicious, going in and collecting debts. And so in this particular situation, we received a report that uh, one of the tenants was being assaulted at one of these buildings. Mm. So it was myself and another sergeant that ended up walking into the building. We received a description. As we're walking into the building, the guy with that description is coming down the stairs into the lobby. And as soon as he sees us, he kind of tightens up a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, both of us are kind of looking at each other, me and the sergeant. It's like, no, you mm -hmm. know what? Uh, there's something to this, right? So yeah. as I reach out uh, to grab onto him, the fight's on. Like he literally, like he's throwing punches and we're doing the same. So both <laughs> like zero to a hundred in a second, zero to a hundred in a second, millisecond. Yeah, so yeah. we both, uh, we're both fighting and all three of us on the ground. Then he starts reaching down right. uh, behind, into behind his pocket. Oh, uh, reaching okay. into behind his pocket and I reach back there as well because I, I knew he's reaching for some kind mm -hmm. of weapon it's a loaded gun I didn't realize it was loaded until afterwards but he's reaching into his pocket and he's he's literally pulling out the loaded gun on us yeah so I grab onto the gun and I'm struggling with him and the sergeants like both of us are just trying to take control of him I was able to wrestle the gun away from him yeah, and I, and I, nobody else is in the lobby except for the clerk who's hiding underneath yeah. the desk, obviously. <laughs> yeah, 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 and I, I don't get paid enough for yeah, this. <laughs> I grab the gun and I just chuck it in a safe place just a few feet away from me so at least I can control him first. Yeah. yeah. And as soon as he was taken into custody where we put on the handcuffs, then I go pick up the gun and sure enough, yeah, it was completely loaded. It was good to go, the one in the chamber. So oh, had this crazy. guy been able to pull it out and pull the trigger, mm -hmm. it was game over. Right. And yeah. this was not the first time something like that had happened with me. So I'm grateful that the sergeant that was with me, like he's a very skilled fighter. Yeah. yeah. And he's got tons of experience in the downtown east side. So mm. that's the kind of partner you want uh, with you on the beat. But yeah. the downtown east side was a different beast, a completely different beast than any other kind of policing. Mm. Yeah. So these scenarios are very vivid and they come off very, very like extreme. And we were talking before this about the self-doubt in the moment. I know you might be very mentally resilient, but a lot of people out here, they might hear this story and be like, I would go to myself and I would think that night, is it worth it? Like I was so close. It was a one in the chamber situation. Did you ever have any moments after scenarios like this where you would think of things like that? Or how did you really deal with all this mentally? When you, before you get on the job, uh, I don't think you can be naive to the fact that you need to have proper mental coping mechanisms. Right. Like you can't just go in under the belief system that your psychological systems are resilient enough that you'll be able to deal with any situation that comes your way. I think uh, over time you need to uh, bolster and reinforce your coping mechanisms with um, proper meditation and just um, 
an intrinsic understanding of where your weaknesses are, where your deficiencies yeah. are. Because otherwise, I'm telling you, like the example that was given to me when I first got on the job is that emotions are like a bag. Right. Yeah. You, a bag you threw over your shoulder. If every situation you come across, mm. it's going to have an emotional element to it. Yeah. And if you start throwing those emotions into that bag, that bag is going to get heavy and yeah. you're not going to be able to carry it around for very long. And so I think the great thing for me is that I was always big on meditation. Mm-hmm. And so, and I'm able to sort of ventilate right. uh, a lot of these uh, stressors or challenges uh, through constructive means. So I found uh, it very therapeutic to be working out regularly. Right. I did powerlifting at a very comp- high level, competitive level, and obviously meditation as well, what Simran. And so yeah. in that respect, it's just, you have a combination of these various factors which you can utilize to positively ventilate all these negative stressors that you might be experiencing. Yeah. But the job itself, it's not just physically demanding, psychologically, emotionally, it takes its toll on you. And even like the whole thing about being calm. I remember I was watching that Vision TV interview of you in the downtown East Side, walking on the streets. And there was like a, a very large amount of calmness where we were talking, we're like, yo, if we were here, we would be looking around 360, we'd be paranoid. But I could guess it was maybe that relationship that you built. And also going back to being calm and like meditation, I noticed that a lot in my life too, where obviously I've done nothing as adrenaline intense as policing, but meditation since a young age has made me very stoic to a sense where like when I was in high school and university, um, I would be working a lot of customer service and people would be screaming in my face. But like, I think if you start to panic, it sets off fight or flight in both of you and it turns into a weird situation. Oh, hundred percent. Like human instinct is just that it's fight or flight. Yeah. Right. Like it's just once the adrenaline kicks in, then your body is thinking uh, of just two avenues that are available to resort to fight or flight. Yeah. And grant, granted, don't get me wrong. Like I wasn't always that calm when I first mm-hmm. got on the job and I'm dealing with extreme situations. Like you start to hyperventilate. It's like, yeah, what is this? Right. Yeah. And did you, I don't think your system is adjusted or acclimated in such a way to deal with that level of stress that you're experiencing because yeah, all of a sudden it's a huge adrenaline dump on your body and mm. uh, the cortisol is kicked in and your body's just uh, in high octane drive mode. Mm. Yeah. But over time you learn to recognize those feelings what the physiological responses that your body's going yeah. through yeah. and you learn to control it. Mm. And that's why like it over the course of years, I went from that young rookie kid that just got on the job yeah. and like, feeling that anxiety when I'm responding to a major call yeah. to later on down the road is being the acting sergeant mm-hmm. in the downtown East that side, running three major calls simultaneously with a cup of coffee in my hand. Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's you so, you yeah. grow to learn how to deal with that situation yeah. though. Right. Which I mean, it comes with experience, right? hundred uh, percent. Right? And then, uh, you were talking about how gangsters now is like two of them have joined kids play and they're reflecting on that lifestyle. I was reading about Stan Price and you and him going to schools and going around and he being an indigenous gangster and all that. Um, when you talk to these people that have now like flipped the coin and came to the other side of life, how do they reflect on how they spent their time or like what's their whole like energy and persona like? Oh, day and night, mm-hmm. day and night. Like I was just talking, I talk to Stan and Shane all the time. Yeah. Like yeah. they're part of our program uh, and they come out regularly. But every time I talk to Stan like and Shane, both, mm-hmm. uh, in addition to a lot of the other gang members that are part of our organization, you got Shanann, you got TJ, you got Mindy, uh, all these guys uh, that come out regularly. Yep. Uh, you talk to all of them. All of them are extremely grateful 
Mm. They're grateful for having changed their lives. They're yeah. grateful for the opportunities that have been given to them. They're grateful for this platform. And all of them say the same thing to me. Every single one of them Every mm. say one the one. same thing to me. They said, you know what? Uh, we couldn't be any happier. Really? And they mean that. Mm. Like they have found a sense of peace. Through kids play. Well, yeah, through finding this better life for themselves, right? right, right? right. Obviously, yeah. obviously, kids play yeah. has been an important part of that journey, mm. but yeah. just changing their lives for themselves, mm. right? And transforming to become better human beings. They said, uh, you know what? It's, um, it's been completely life-altering, and they have found a sense of peace that they never had before, a sense of self-fulfillment. Because yeah. it's not just a matter of becoming better human beings, uh, where they're not involved in that destructive behavior, but combined with the fact that they're actually giving back. It's one thing to be a good human being, but everybody's capable of good just for themselves. Right. It's like, what are you doing above and beyond that to give in back. terms of seva, to give back, to give right? Back. Like, yeah. it's what, what's beyond you. Like, how are you extending yourself into that universe to help others, right? Mm-hmm. Taking your time, talent, skills, right? And it's... It's your ability to make a difference in somebody else's life and not just your own. Mm. Yeah. I think that first phase in their life was making that difference in their own lives for themselves so that yeah. they can better themselves and excel. Mm. And that mm. second phase now is that they're taking everything that they've learned and experienced and they're sharing that with others so that no other child or kid falls into that trap. And that takes a tremendous amount of courage. Right. And I respect that. And I tell yeah. these, it, with all of us, there's a mutual level of admiration and respect mm. for one another. And there has to be, where it's just, I am so proud of these guys for taking this step and helping others. And like I said, they have found such a, a sense of self-fulfillment from that. Right. With Stan, you know what? He was the leader of an ultra-violent gang okay. in the Red Alert in the downtown right. east side. And I, one day, I just, working shift, I had enough. Uh-huh. I walked right up to him, straight into his face, and I said, you know what? I know you have kids. God forbid your kids ever get hooked on the same drugs that you're selling to these other kids. Right. Only then will you know the pain of a parent. Wow. Yeah. And in his customary way, he tells me to F off and all that, which is fine. Like, yeah, yeah, but yeah. it hit him on the inside, that type of thing. Well, check it out. Five years later, yeah. five years later, yeah. he calls me. Uh-huh. He calls me, gets my phone number, calls me, and says, uh, hey, Stan Price, do you remember me? Yeah. yeah I remember you, right? Yeah. And he said, uh, you know what? I want to meet you. I mm. want to talk to you in person. Mm. So I sit down with him, and he goes, I never forgot what you said. He said, um, you were absolutely right. He said, my son got addicted, mm. nearly died of an overdose, and I need your help. That I'm ready to leave that lifestyle, and I want help for my son too. Yeah. And so Stan changed his life after that, and Stan not only became a close friend, Right now, mm-hmm. he's also a mentor in our Kids Play Foundation drug and gang program. Yeah, and he's also the assistant manager at a transition housing. So oh, he's wow. doing amazing. Yeah, there that is go. amazing. That's, That's amazing. amazing. <laughs> had a story of maybe a big moment of revelation you had related to seeing a fourteen-year-old child in the streets. Yeah, 100%. which sounded really powerful. That was that was one of the main uh, one of the many stories that I experienced that led to my um, evolution, so to speak, right. in my thinking process. But yeah, um, yeah in this particular case, uh, I was the acting sergeant. I pulled my police cruiser into a lane in the downtown east side. It was two a.m. in the morning. Mm. It was raining heavy, and this young kid is sitting by in a garbage dumpster getting his crack pipe ready. And later on, I learned he was like fourteen years old. Mm-hmm. He sees my car, he dumps the pipe, 
right. and he starts to walk away. Mm. Like I already made up my mind that I'm not going to arrest the kid. It's just, I think things had been culminating uh, up to that point where it's just my entire perspective was changing. But you're absolutely right. Th mm. This was a revelation mm. of sorts where I get out of the car. I'm like, hey, stop. He kept walking. So I asked again. He turns around and he puts his wrists up in front of me like that. And he goes, if you're going to throw on the cuffs, do it now. Yeah. Otherwise, I take it. I'm free to go. And his audacity came as no surprise. Huh. It's because he was a byproduct of his environment, hardened and calloused. Mm. Yeah. So I say to him, I say, where's your home? Mm. Where's your family? Or like what led you down this path? He thinks about it for a moment. And then he looks me straight in the eye and he asks me, he goes, if your mom left you when you were young and you have no idea who she is or where she is, your dad's lying drunk on the couch right now and has no idea where you are, and your brother's sitting in jail for dealing drugs and there's nobody else at home, where would you be? Hmm. And he was right. Like, where would I be? I, I would be tremendously naive to think that my circumstances would be any different yeah. if I had to experience his kind of environment. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's just um, at that moment in time, it was that moment of epiphany. It was like, okay, yeah, you know what? Time out. Stop. Like everything I had been doing up to that point was all about just law enforcement, throw on the cops, yeah. sent to jail, pushed mm -hmm. to the criminal justice system, thrown into the youth detention center, spewed right. back onto the streets to re-engage in a perpetual cycle of violence and on and on and on. Like then you're not part of the solution. You're yeah. part of the problem. Like yeah. at some point in time, you've got to intervene and say, okay, you know what? There has to be a different way because I finished my shift and I'd always go to my locker at the end of shift, taking off my uniform and something just didn't sit right with me. I was like, uh, you know, you know what? There has to be that calling. There has to be a solution to this. Like yeah. it's just a lot of these kids that were in the downtown East side came from lower socioeconomic backgrounds Yeah, and they came from an environment of dysfunction mm. and poverty where that's all they've ever known. They've never had a good relationship with the police for obvious reasons. It was mm. always negative interaction. Yeah. Same kids would have been raising their middle fingers and hurling swear words while riding by on their bikes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. So, but whose responsibility is it to establish a positive rapport with these kids? It's mm. ours. Yeah. Mm. Right. Like we got to take that step first. Mm -hmm. And so I called MCFD in the case of this 14 year old MCFD being ministry of children and families. Yeah. And we were able to get that kid out of that environment and right. into something a, a bit more positive. Mm -hmm. But I get asked all the time. It's like, what happened to that boy? And I'll be honest with you. I don't know. Exactly. There's a hundred stories like him, yeah. but at least I can say this much that he changed my life that night. Mm -hmm. And I realized we need to do something different, something better mm -hmm. to yeah. help these kids. Speaking about kids and stuff, and obviously you being from the South Asian background, you know, being Punjabi, right? I wanted to ask about this because I feel like this hits like all of us being from this background. Why is it? Why do you think it is that kids from our back, like kids from our, you know, community that are in well-off families, you know, have this great support system, don't have to deal with stuff like that, always end up like, not always, but like sometimes end up being. You had that story too. Tell the story about the guy which one? who never felt like he owned anything. Yeah. So I have talked to some people in this situation and it was kind of like, this kid told me, he's like, how would you feel if everything you ever worked for meant nothing because you were going to be given it anyways? Right? Mm. That. That's, that right there. That's what it is. That's exactly what I was about to talk about is self um, instantaneous gratification and self-entitlement. Yeah. Where absolutely you hit the nail on the head. Mm. That every single situation I come across where I'm, I've been dealing with these violent um, gangsters uh, that are s still quite young. Yeah. Where the common denominator between all of them was just that 
and a family that yeah. looks the other way. Yeah. Where there's a willful blindness there. Mm-hmm. The ostrich with the head in the sand approach is like, you know what? I don't want to know what you're doing. Yeah. I'm not going to ask. Yeah. yeah. And so it was a combination of these factors. And what pisses me off the most is when you drive by, um, I'll use Surrey as an example. When yeah. you drive by some of the high schools in Surrey and look in the student parking lot, yeah. uh, student parking lot, yeah. brand new Audis, yeah. Range Rovers, yeah. Beamers. It's like, why are you getting your kid who's in grade 11 or 12 a brand new Audi, brand new BMW? Like, what do you think Mm. that you're teaching your kid? Because they sure as hell ain't learning the value of money. Yeah. Right. Breaks that connection of like, oh, I earned this luxury car. I got somewhere to drive this. Somebody just told me the story a little while ago. It was a manager of one of the car dealerships uh, who's a friend of mine. I was just talking to him Mm. and he goes, uh, it's a luxury uh, brand, by the way, yeah. he's the manager of that car dealership okay. now. Yeah, and he was telling me, Cal, like when I was growing up, my parents told me you're going to work for it. Yeah, and yeah. you're going you're to earn it. Yeah, right. And he goes, I bought. Check this out. Yeah, he said my first car that I bought was an '86 Honda Civic, mm-hmm. and he goes, this thing had rust on it. He goes, but I took it in, I cleaned it up, I took good care of it. He goes, it was like a Ferrari to me. Yeah. yeah. He goes, because I earned it. It was mine. Like yeah. I, I bought it with my own money that I'd saved and I had an appreciation for that car. And he goes, I rode it as long as I could. Right. Yeah. And that's what it's about. Like when you have a kid that has busted their ass, yeah. they've earned something. Exactly. They will not only understand the value of money, but they will also understand the value of hard work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I, as a kid, my brother and I were in the blueberry fields in yeah. Abbotsford. Yeah. That's yeah. why like I got mixed feelings about Abbotsford. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the, it, the like, trauma from the blueberry the, fields. The, yeah, the, the trauma from the blueberry <laughs> strawberry fields, right? Done that so, too as a kid. I think but it's But as a kid, too, like, yeah, yeah, it's just like mom and dad would put me on the bus with Yeah. Uh, it's so the, hot and there's the, bugs. <laughs> right? I got those buckets, bro. You those buckets are so heavy. Yeah, but yeah. I'll tell you one thing. It paid off. Yeah. yeah. It yeah. taught me about the value of hard work because I'd pick the bucket. Like, it would take me hours. Yeah. And I'd pick the bucket, finally bring it in. And they're like, okay, oh. this is how much. I'm like, <laughs> like <"What?"> $10. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. That's my Slurpee right yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know. You see all these aunties you know, just picking like seven buckets by the time you pick yeah, one. You're like, I what is like, going I on? I don't know. Yeah. Me, I was thinking, yeah, maybe I'll graduate to that level someday. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah. you, you develop a appreciation for hard work. Like, when you do stuff you like do. And so don't get me wrong. Like, I'm not going to paintbrush the entire South Asian community the same way. You've got a lot of kids with good parents who have been taught Mm -hmm. the value of hard work. Yeah. And I have so much risk. It's the same thing where when we put on these drug and gang presentations, they're only educational in nature. Yeah. It's about to teach you Mm -hmm. how you can keep your kids out of that lifestyle should the circumstances present themselves. Right. So these forms are meant not only for the kids because... If we're just teaching the kids, but we're not teaching the parents, the home environment is always going to stay the same. Yeah. And mm-hmm. if the home environment doesn't change, neither will the kid. They'll the, go in that direction, whether it be with a delay an hour later. 100%. Right? It'll still be that same trajectory. Yeah. And so we make it a point of bringing in the parents with the kids when we put on these forms. But then yeah. I get two types of parents. I get the parents as, uh, that do show up with their kids because all our programs that kids play are absolutely free. Zero yeah, cost, I was reading right? you guys, like, two principles. Everybody's a volunteer and we don't charge a fee so that kids even from lower socioeconomic backgrounds are still welcomed. 100%. Awesome. Everybody is welcome. Yeah. And it's free. Like, if it's free, 
like in the Punjabi community. That's, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's, that's the, gold. That's you struck gold, right? In life, nothing is free. I had, so you, you know what the funniest thing is? Yeah. So many Punjabi parents I like come up to me and give me that look and they're like, free, free? Yeah. <laughs> Dude, we had someone <laughs> no like free, our, our free? Like, yeah. or is it like there's some caveat attached know, to this, like, like some conditions? Our yeah. last guest was like, you know, the only thing that's free in life is prasad at the Gurdwara. He's like, nothing else. <laughs> no, you know, I can tell you these programs are just as and free. Kids and, play. and kids play. And kids play, right? So that's yeah. why we want to, we don't want any child to be deprived of an opportunity because it might be financially restricted yeah. by the parents, right? Yeah. So if we've opened up the gates now and said, it's free, come, learn, yeah. right? Educate yourselves then every parent has a responsibility, mm. right? And so there's that first type of parents that do bring out their kids that are enthusiastic, that want to teach, and they all learn something, uh, right? Yeah. And then you have that second type of parents that goes, Sanuki, right? Like, like when our kid's not even involved in drugs and gangs, why should we come out yeah, of learn? Yeah, right? And then I tell these same parents, I'm like, you know what, there's actually a saying in Punjabi, they said, um, meaning that there's a fire in your neighbor's yard yeah. you're still going to feel the heat yeah right yeah. and god forbid like don't be so arrogant that just because your kids are good today doesn't necessarily insinuate exactly, exactly. that they'll be good tomorrow mm. right and then when that time comes where you need help tomorrow who are you going to go to yeah right and i i'm telling you the truth i'm not exaggerating this i've had a lot of parents that refused to come to these presentations before and sure as hell yeah. Unfortunately, yeah. Uh, their kids did get involved in the yeah. lifestyle. And these same parents came to me all those years later saying, buddy, you were right. Yeah. And like now we do need the help. So if you can help us out. But the problem is like, I don't have a magic wand. Exactly. Right? Like it's not something where you can, exp I'll still help, but you can't. But the person has to want to help themselves too. That Not right. only that, this is not something that's going to happen overnight. Mm. It's yeah. going to be a gradual incremental process which is going to take time. Yeah, slowly but surely. Right? Slowly but surely. 100%. Yeah. All right. Cal, I wanted to go into some more questions about uh, Kids Play Foundation. And um, what was like the, like, what was one of the main reasons you wanted to start Kids Play Foundation? What was the, what was the um, passion behind it? I guess before that, you had the soccer tournament. Right. Uh, the, the PAL. And before the PAL, that's right. Before yeah. the PAL, yeah. there was something that happened. You guys right? really do your that research. Wanna, that's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah we, we, got, we got pages. Fantastic. That's good. You got all this stuff research. right here, yeah. man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We got all your details. But right it's definitely not boring <laughs> stuff, right? And it's like yeah. awesome to be able to talk to somebody who's been. Yeah, all I started this, out with the police athletic league, but once again, like going back to that point I made earlier, I'd be returning back to my locker after shift. And yeah. Something just didn't sit right. Yeah. Yeah. What I saw was a steady stream of kids that were entering the open air drug market in the downtown east side. Uh, we'd be arresting these kids, once again, pushing them through the criminal justice system, thrown yeah. into the youth mm -hmm. detention center, spewed back into the streets to re-engage in that perpetual cycle of violence. Yeah. And that cycle would go on and on. There was a SkyTrain story that happened before PAL, I think, where you saw a stabbing at a SkyTrain with like a 14, 15-year-old kid. And that was one thing that really hit you? Uh, there was a few of those. There's a few of those, right? A few of those yeah. that happened. Yeah. And mm -hmm. so it was a combination of various things where, especially that 14-year-old was a tipping point. Yeah, that yeah, fourteen-year-old yeah, kid in the alley—that was the tipping point where it had been building, like, building, building momentum. Because we almost like, can't understand growing up from a young age surrounded by that. It's like if I didn't have my parents, who am I to say I would still be the same person? Well, yeah, right? absolutely. And the other big thing is, is that we are in such a habit of following the same historical narr uh, narrative over and over again, where this is how things have always been. 
Yeah. And we society is structured in such a way that we embrace that narrative as our own and, and accept that status quo that this is conventionally how things have always been. This is how it always will be. Yeah. And so accept it and move on. That is so self-defeating. Oh, like you mean in like most norms and most bad things that happen. Societal norms. Yeah. And it's just uh, like as a law enforcement officer, this is how it's always been. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like you do your job where it's like you're good. Criminal offense, arrest, throw to jail, you're done. Yeah. Right. Right. Check. Like don't try and to be bigger than this. Yeah. Don't Stick try to, to be bigger than this system. Mm-hmm. And the system is here for a reason and always has been for a reason. Right? And a lot of people probably go with that. for career, They for would. Careers. Yeah. And, but it's just like, I don't know, man. It's like when the couple of these incidents happen, I was like, no. Yeah. You know what, then what, what do I have within my capacity and power that I can institute change? Yeah. Like this is where change comes from. All change is, is a concept. Mm. Yeah. Right? It's a seed that you plant, but you have to have the will and the strength to want to do it. Where it's just like, I found enough motivation on the streets yeah. where it inspired me enough and pushed me enough. It was just like, you know what? It's do or die. Yeah. where yeah. either I can one or two, there's a, literally a fork in the road. That 14 year old kid was the fork in the road. Mm. Yeah. Either I continue on the path that I am mm. and just accept the things they, the way they are. We would never and, meet. Yeah. And nothing's going to change. Mm. Right. And just be a part of that system. Yeah. Or uh, you know what? I take that onus, that burden of obligation yeah. and do something about this, whatever it is. And it's been said many times before the smallest the minute hmm. of actions is worth more than the greatest concepts in the world where people can talk and talk and talk rhetoric all day long. But if you're not executing it's it worthless. and implementing it, it's worthless, it's worth, right? Yeah. It means yeah. nothing. Mm-hmm. And so in that respect, it was just like, okay, that's it. So next day I walk into my inspector's office. I'm like, you know what? Give me some funding. Give me just basic funding yeah. so that I can start in a program for inner city kids. I'll do it on my own time. Where I'll did come you in on my day that? off. Yeah. I'll come into my day off. I'll start this sports program for inner city kids on my own time. I don't want anything from the department. Just give me that funding so I can buy equipment, medals, trophies, food, water, Yeah, basic stuff. So was your thought process kind of like these kids have all this energy and if they don't have a positive place to put it naturally, I think they're going to turn to these negative influences around them. Yeah. So there were two, three major factors. That was one of them. Yeah. Yeah. The other was as police officers, have we really made an attempt to establish a positive rapport with these kids? It's always been negative interaction. Mm. What if we actually show these kids that we're actually the good guys, right? Yeah. That legitimately care about them and not just some, uh, some hardcore cop wearing a uniform that's uh, giving them a hard time. Just going right? to enforce the law and that's Yeah, it. that's yeah. just going to enforce the law and that's the extent of our responsibility to uh, society, right? It's more than that, it is. right? Like what if we actually take off that uniform, we're on the field in shorts and a t-shirt mm. yeah, playing totally soccer different. with the kids. Yeah. Totally right? Different. What do you think about that? You get humanized so to these you, kids. We get, we, yeah, that's yeah, right. We, 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 we're, we're demonized and then we go to humanized. Yeah. Right? Yeah. There is He's that. just like a good uncle. He's like that nice uncle. <laughs> you know? yeah. That, yeah, that nice uncle that's she, had a couple of glasses can't. of wine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Playing soccer with the kids. <laughs> you see Cal Uncle on the weekend? Yeah. <laughs> Cal Uncle. <laughs> Cal Uncle dressing like he's still 20. Trust me, that's not the first time I heard that. Yeah, there was these factors. So there was that, what you had said, and then just humanizing ourselves 
to the kids. Mm. And yeah. number three, a lot of these kids had never had an opportunity to play organized sports. Oh, because yeah. it's so expensive in the real world. It's so expensive in the real world, and they don't really get opportunities like that outside of school, really. Mm-hmm. But even with schools and their limited budgets, really, how much and is bullying school? at school gets tied right into that too. Hundred percent. Right. Oh, you're trying too hard. Oh, mm. why do you want to be on the team? Come hang out with us yeah, instead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, come hang out with us instead. And so yeah. there was all these factors that, if you put these variables together in the equation, you begin to realize that when you provide these kids with positive, constructive outlets. Mm such as sports as one example that mm. that's absolutely what you're doing is that yeah. you're deviating from that trajectory that they were already on yeah. on that bad path and actually giving them positive alternatives yeah and yeah. so but you need something you can't just expect oh i'm just going to keep them at home all day and they're just going to do nothing because kids will always end up doing something they'll always end up channeling that energy some way yeah it's some lots way. of energy i've noticed that in myself energy. Yeah. yeah i noticed that in myself where i had to build a positive system of like okay if i'm just sitting at home all day i'm gonna go to the gym and i'm gonna start this extracurricular like coding project i'm gonna keep myself busy because otherwise what are you gonna do scroll on social media till you feel bad about yourself because everybody you look at seems perfect it things seems like perfect. that right absolutely yeah. and um yeah. That's a big point, especially yeah. with kids and electronic devices these days. Yeah. So I thought, you know what? I'm going to do the same thing that I used to do as a kid. Like when we were kids, like 12, 13 years old, I'm Outside. not a word of a lie, dude. We were on the streets all day long. I was, yeah. I was from morning <laughs> till evening. We were yeah. playing street hockey. Yeah. We were playing soccer. We were playing basketball. Yeah. Like we were catching frogs in ditches. Catching frogs? <laughs> oh wait, God. wait. So where did you grow up, Cal? In Lander. Oh, in Ladner, oh, that's why yeah. these guys be catching frogs. I was like, you're not doing that now. No, yeah, man, we were doing silly things. Like, it's just like we'd be riding, but I mean, the other stuff too, like we'd be riding our bikes to 7-Eleven to get Slurpees. Like, it's just like yeah. kid stuff. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. And it's the coolest stuff. thing. Having a couple dollars to buy Slurpees is like, dude, you're like, I'm the man. I'm doing a transaction. It's transaction. Crazy. Yeah. yeah, that's, yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know. It's just like, I remember they used to make me so excited. Up, and then I got a job and I got like $100 or something. Like on my first check. And I was like, this is the power I have. This is insane. My brother, I'm telling you, the first time I did it, I felt devious when I started mixing the different flavors. Oh yeah, my God. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I was like, uh, you know what? I'm a rebel. Yeah, <laughs> your parents are here. You know, like, in, in July, yeah. when they have that free Slurpee day, like I would know kids are bringing like, milk cartons and just fill them with Slurpees. Really? Check that out. Like whether it's your generation or mine, I'm yeah, telling yeah, you, yeah. Slurpees were the best. Yeah, we do right? the same things, yeah. bro. You're yeah. just like going to older into, you know, wanting to bodybuild not the greatest anymore but back in the day man well, those are the dirty bulk days yeah dirty so, bulk, yeah. Oh, dirty bulk <laughs> days yeah, 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 yeah. No protein, man. but as kids like we would do this stuff all the time yeah and i wanted to bring those days back to these kids yeah right yeah. where I give them an opportunity to experience something something positive hmm. so i remember on the day of the tournament myself the first tournament that we ran because I, I received 500 bucks, by the way. Yeah, I know. Because now, maybe inflation is more now. But $500, I could barely buy anything. You know what I mean, right? <laughs> Running a whole tournament. 500 bucks to run a soccer tournament. Yeah. yeah. But I was grateful for what I got. It was like 500 bucks. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I got yeah. this, right? Yeah. Like I will stretch every penny to make mm. it work. Yeah, yeah. And so I bought equipment, medals, trophies, wow. uh, food, water, water yeah. right? Basic stuff. And so on the day of the tournament, uh, so it took me about a month a month and a half to organize with the inner city school catchment area in yeah. the downtown east side. Yeah. So a lot of these kids never had the opportunity to engage in uh, these positive constructive outlets, these organized sports, Yeah. especially with the police. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so once the tournament was organized on the day of the tournament, myself and a couple of other officers, we put on gloves and we cleaned up the fields of needles, garbage, and other debris. Because oh, it was like we that. laid up the laid out the tables with medals and trophies uh, and set up the equipment. Yeah. And then we waited. I remember 
we could see a convoy of kids coming down into really? the park with raised eyebrows and hardened attitudes. And one of the kids yells out, yo, where's the donuts? Wait, how, old are, these <laughs> how old are these kids? Like 14, 15? 12. Oh, okay. Yeah. And they're like, yo, where's the donuts? Where's the donuts, right? <laughs> so and Cal's probably like, yo, I only got 500. I don't know. Well, I told him, I said, like, well, you know what I said to the kid later on? I said, like, we don't do donuts anymore. I'm more of a bagel kind of guy, right? So, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> really cool. Yeah. With the joke, cool yeah. uncle response. Cool so, uncle uh, Cal. <laughs> yeah. Uncle but Cal. Like, as the day went on, yeah. these hardened attitudes, they melted away. Yeah. And these kids became kids. Yeah. Once again, the same kids that would have been swearing at us at one point in time. Yeah. Now, now giving us hugs and high fives. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. And everybody so, wants to be a kid like that. But that fight or flight mechanism, it makes you develop this weird, hard attitude that is really you're just scared because you've been through a hard upbringing. But you end up just being so closed off. And once that goes, you can become a kid. You become that. And that's what we were seeing on the yeah. field. Like when the first time ever in their lives, they're actually kicking a soccer ball around with a police yeah. officer. Yeah. Somebody yeah, know yeah. was a police officer. Like, imagine their perspective instantaneously changing just like that. It's like, yeah. this is not a bad guy. It's crazy. Right? They're like, they're taking out their own time from their own day yeah. from their families mm. to come spend time with us. Like, imagine what kind of positive impact it would have on these kids. That's true. That's and all it so takes. that program grew exponentially mm. over the years because the VSB, which is the Vancouver School Board, and the mm -hmm. VPD mm -hmm. began to recognize its value. So yeah. every single year, they would put that much more into it. Right. And nice. we grew that program from about uh, 150 kids uh, in a park in the downtown east side yeah. to BC Play Stadium. Yeah, so yeah. BC Play Stadium. About, uh, I think it was about 1,000 plus kids. That's there you amazing. Go, That's a thousand plus kids. And also, I feel like, um, well, those kids' lives are forever changed. But I was going to mention, I think when I was a kid, if I look back and think about if I was scared of police or not, I don't know if this is a common experience, but I just remember whenever I was being bad or loud, like my grandma and my mom would be like, we're going to call the police on you. Don't be loud. <laughs> well, you <laughs> know what? He's going to come at the door. <laughs> it's happened to like, me so often <laughs> where like I'll have... I swear to God, true stories Bro, yeah, where I'll you, be man. in a grocery store, like I'll be <laughs> yeah. at Save on Foods or whatever, and uh, some kid will be crying and the BB will grab the kid by the arm because <laughs> they've seen me on TV yeah, yeah, and yeah. the BB will drag the kid up to me and start yelling at the kid. Hey, banda policeman, yeah. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, crazy thing is that kid would start screaming even more yeah like he'd be howling at the top of his lungs and the right manager is coming out to see what's going on and i'm in the middle of this thing it's like it's not me it's not me i didn't say anything it's yeah, me yeah. Yeah. just like to be bad i just came to pick up my cheese yeah. and my milk and that's crazy guys trying to explain this to the manager just like stop me it's the bb man yeah it's the bb mm. and then you know, like this has happened time and time and time again but it's funny at the same time it's just yeah. like okay don't demonize us yeah just us don't look, demonize yeah them. don't make us look we're not the bad guys right yeah, like yeah. And it's like no we're yeah, not yeah. gonna do that it's just like <laughs> imagine if they were like right that'd that, be messed up though. that'd be messed up that kid <laughs> will never talk to another cop again his oh, entire no. life right and grow up hating cops probably and so yeah. i think the big thing mm. in our community uh is that a lot of the parents are beginning to see police in a different light yeah yeah where they never really had this interaction where That's a true. Punjabi police officer that understands the culture yeah that can speak fluent Punjabi can mm. actually communicate with them in a clear concise way mm. and that's respectful and civil and polite 
That's yeah. important too. The more people build that relationship with them now, yeah. for sure. where it's just like, we're not, we're actually parents. We're community mm-hmm. advocates before we're police officers. Yeah. And uh, so we can take off that police hat and we can interact with the public in a completely different light. Yeah. Uh, and I think parents and kids really appreciate that. And that's why like our, our programs have grown so much is because so yeah. many more families are coming on board now. Yeah. So the program I was just coming from today before uh, I came to you guys like over that program within a span of a year went from 15 kids to over 50. Wow. Yeah. Right? yeah it's because different. parents are beginning to every single week we have this art therapy program where kids come out, they can oh, draw art, they get a chance to listen to keynote speakers, we take them on huh. field trips. Nice. And cool. it's not just kids from the South Asian community, yeah. like we're very diverse that way. And it's all for free. It's all for free. The programs for are for everybody equally in the community. That's actually yeah. crazy. And yeah. so we get people from different backgrounds. Like I remember this one Chinese mom that had just moved over from mainland China. Oh. And she brought out her daughter. Like they could barely speak English. But yeah. she was like, you know what? It's nice to have a family like this now. Uh, right? That's so, so sweet. That's, so awesome. that's my point. It's just like, regardless of your caste, creed, ethnicity, gender, background, race, yeah. It, yeah. religion, it doesn't matter. There's a like, common similarity in us. We're all human beings yeah. at the end of the day. Yeah. And all of us are essentially craving acceptance, identity, and love. And that's yeah. it, right? So if, when we can have a platform like this where we can build a brighter future for youth collectively in the community, mm-hmm. yeah. I think that's the responsibility we have. It's a bit more of like the um, non serious things where you can just kind of be yourself yeah be you yourself know? and be also yourself. we got to get this the musella story too yeah we got to get this the musella story at the end but um at the end okay yeah, that's cool crazy. so i'm gonna go into some of the we questions that, we had that instagram story remember where it was like ask questions for cal yeah, yeah so, we so a lot, lot of, of our friends and like viewers that want it are ambitious and like law enforcement and all that they wrote some pretty detailed questions yeah, all right you know what let me they're, they're excited about we have some <laughs> we, have, we have some funny questions as well all right so we're gonna we're gonna segment into this all right so going into some <laughs> sure. of the questions uh this is a question that you, you may choose to answer um if you were off duty and you saw me and manrov robbing a bank or manrov and i robbing a bank <laughs> right hypothetically speaking <laughs> allegedly right what would you do <laughs> oh man you're gonna put me on the spot yes, right? yes you will <laughs> You know what? If you're robbing a bank, that is a very serious offense. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you that. Yeah. You right. would tell us very the law great. is going to prevail. Yeah, yeah. Law, the law is going to prevail. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. But in the same vein, it's all, I'll tell you this much. <laughs> That's it's, a serious answer. It, well, you know what? it has to be. Yeah. If you think about yeah, it, yeah, it I'm to, not yeah. just going to give you guys a pat on the back. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I don't know. worry about yeah. it. Yeah. Just leave the money right there. What about holding man of hostage? Well, that's a whole different situation, I'm, isn't I'm it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> well, you know what? It's just, uh, I'll tell you this much. I would take you guys down first. <laughs> then, yeah. we'd have, then we'd have a nice soft yeah. talk. After I wouldn't put up that. a fight. Man. <laughs> I'd be like, Yo, it's Uncle Cal. I'm not, I'm not dealing with this. Yeah. Okay, I would either. Well, another small question then. Do you think it's important for guys like our age now to focus on being physically strong and like going to the gym and like maintaining good physical fitness? 100%. 100%. Okay, so you two specifically, if you think about it, like you have embraced Sikhi mm. yeah. to its fullest. But I'm not just talking about Sikhi, but in your particular examples, right. yeah, yeah. you to embrace Sikhi to the fullest. Yeah. <clears throat> Martial arts is a way of Sikhi's life. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a way of Sikhi life. The, the, um, it's the saint warrior yeah. philosophy, uh-huh. that, that duality, the meaty that, yeah. that exists, yeah. right? And that was the philosophy I always grew up with. Yeah. It was just like I always needed to maintain a balance between meditation and peace and tranquility yeah. and being yeah. a 
pacifist yeah and yeah, maintain where where the situation calls for it and somebody's life is on the line yeah and you're it yeah you're right it. then you got to step it up yeah. Yeah. where you got to make sure that you come through and you're able to provide that help and assistance if somebody needs it so yeah. you have mm. that responsibility and i think that uh that warrior saint mentality is so essential these yeah. days for everybody mm-hmm. not just six but everybody mm. should yeah. have that mentality where if you need to switch it on yeah. you can for reasons of good yeah. yeah and but at the same time have that peace calm and tranquility inside you all the single time mm. yeah. all the time so that you're you're capable you can't uh, have one without the other otherwise the balance gets skewed. no man it's in a balance it, yeah. it's like even that chinese um, philosophy the yin and the yang yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah you yeah, gotta yeah. have that balance constantly in life that's true that's yeah. for anything right because you could be an amazing person and that could be it but you can't forget that there's people that will target you because of that oh, even how, in life right well if you're peaceful like is um there was a a psychologist in toronto I, his name slips my mind right now but he says he goes uh just being morally good yeah Yeah. does not make you a good human being more it's not enough where being morally good that i don't cause anybody harm (laughs) well do you really believe that makes you virtuous well no it's still a strain on the resources of the world well not only that but if somebody's if someday somebody needed your help yeah be like you know what i'm neutral to this yeah not my problem right i'm good where i don't do anything bad yeah but if situation calls for it i'm not there for that person either then what is my use kind of yeah right npc Yeah. <laughs> a non-player character non-player like character video, right so yeah. yeah my son knows all about that yeah. <laughs> there you go. that's yeah, all definitely. he looks at all day yeah. but point being is you have to have that balance in life where you know what you have to have that strength of character where you can yeah. put it into overdrive if somebody needs your help yeah but at the same time have that balance that peace yeah where you live your life in such a way that is morally virtuous yeah yeah for sure God, we need to train one day I'm sorry? We need to train one day. Let's rock and roll, man. I'm, I'm down. Let's we, do it. I need, I need to train with Uncle Kyle. That's true. I need to see what Uncle Kyle I'm big on that, though. Like, that whole, like, even sometimes you're by yourself and there's, like, an honest choice you can make and a dishonest choice, and no one's ever going to know because it'll be something so small. Recently, like, it starts coming into my head. I'm like, yo, you know what? God is always watching. I'm going to just move on. And, and you feel good after that. Like, like, I don't know. I've never done anything bad like that. But I started thinking about this a lot now where I'm like, this is who I am. Well, I'll tell you a funny story about that. It's when I was doing kickboxing. Yeah. Uh, and this was, like, in my early years of kickboxing. So I might have been around 12 or 13 at that time where I had a very traditional kung fu master who was also uh, a kickboxer. Okay. And so he was also teaching that class and he was asking all of us to do push-ups, and I cheated on mine where he asked to do, <laughs> asked us to do 10 yeah. and I did five half-ass ones. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And but he saw, he saw, oh. right. He didn't say anything at the time. <laughs> okay. But he's a different cow, bro. Right. Yeah, and once I finished, uh, as I'm leaving the class, like everybody's done, everybody's leaving. He goes, I want to talk to you for a second. Huh. You stay behind. Oh, okay. And so... <laughs> Heart probably sang. <laughs> right? Yeah. Your heart's yeah. pumping. It's just, you know, what do I do now? Right? Like, I, I, I'm presuming it's to do with that. Yeah. So I stay behind and he looks at me. He goes, yeah, I saw. Right? He mm. goes, I saw. He goes, but I'm not mad at you. I'm not upset at you. He goes, the only one that you cheated was yourself. Mm. He said, at the end of the day, if you did five and you didn't do 10, those that did 10 will be that much stronger. Yeah. It's to their benefit. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So if you only did five, that was your choice to make, yeah. right? If you only did five, 
then that is who you always will be. You will look for the shortcuts in life. Yeah. And when it starts getting a little bit challenging or starts getting a little bit hard, you're always going to be the first one to fold. Yeah, that's right? actually true because there's not always going to be a coach like that in front of you pushing you on. Most of the things in like building a business or building yourself up with character and doing good things, you're just on your own, man. Like you're going to be having late nights putting in work by yourself. And if you take the shortcut, the only thing that hurts is your growth and the things that you're working on. And that'll show in your character to people. Brother, the biggest battles that we fight sometimes is not with anybody else but ourselves. Yeah. yeah. Right? Within yeah, ourselves. And that's what everybody out there needs to understand is that, look, if things are not going in your life the way you want them to right now, yeah. it, it's okay. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. It's like if you feel that you're on a slippery slope or a destructive path and your life's not going in the direction, then you're the master of your own domain. Yeah. yeah. It's your responsibility. Like, it takes a very weak person to say, yeah, my circumstances are such and I can't control them and like this is how it always will be. Because yeah. you take what, away all the accountability. It, you're you not accountable all the accountability. Granted, mm. I'm not uh, trivializing or disavowing anybody's yeah. particular circumstances. Yeah. Where if their circumstances are difficult, I appreciate that. Because in a lot of countries but around the world, just based on how you're born and the caster and things like that, you'll still be at a significant disadvantage. But where right. we live, we can say that. Where a lot of times it is you. Even if you are at a disadvantage, yeah. what can you control? Yeah. yeah. What's within your capacity that you can at least control? Yeah. For those things that you can control, then you have a responsibility to do so. For sure. That's true. All right. Another question that I have to ask you. Um, <laughs> do you ever get pulled over for speeding while you're not on duty? <laughs> <laughs> I have, yes. Have you? How's yeah. that interaction went? <laughs> uh, yeah. You know what? Just like anybody else, I ended up getting a ticket. You got a ticket? Uh, 100%. Damn. You know what? It's just, but <laughs> it's, it's not a problem with me. Yeah, where yeah. like if I make a mistake, it's my bad. You got to own up to it. For sure. Right. It's about a matter of being accountable. Mm -hmm. And so in that respect, like it's just, uh, it happened a long time ago. Yeah. yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. A long, yeah. long time ago when sure. I first got on the job, it was shortly thereafter where I did end up speeding, but I didn't make any excuses. That's, yeah, that's yeah, not yeah, me. I've always that's been accountable me. when I get pulled over. Cause even when I had my new license, I'd be that guy who'd like, like have an extra passenger. <laughs> like, I don't know. But when the cop came to me, I would always be like, yes i did this and i would take the ticket i would go on with my night because the more that you resist that the more you just kind of feel like a loser you oh, know man. like so well, speaking of accountability it. i'll tell yeah. you a funny story about that so one night uh i'm by myself in the car patrol car and this car in front of me is weaving side to side okay oh. the guy's obviously drunk yeah so presuming he's drunk mm -hmm. so i flip on my siren lights and sirens this guy still keeps driving like that for another five six blocks yeah weaving Right yeah. through the road. As you were trying to pull him over. As I'm trying to pull him yeah. over. And finally, I guess he looks in his rear view. Mind you, a couple of things here. Yeah. There's no tints on the window, so I can see clearly into the car. Oh. Number two, there's only one occupant in the car, and that's the driver, and that's it. Oh. Nobody else in the car. Yeah. So finally, I guess he looks in his rear view, sees the police car, yeah. pulls over. Yeah. As I pull in behind him, and I throw my car into park, huh. what does he do? He, he drives away. The no. Oh. He jumps from the driver's seat into the front passenger seat. <laughs> and he's all by himself? <laughs> no way, bro. He lost it. What oh, was he going to say? It the gets driver better. Away? It gets car better. Himself. So it's a DC uncle. Oh, so shit. So I, I get out of my car. I yeah. walk up to the front passenger side. I'm killing myself laughing, by the way. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. think this is the funniest thing I've ever seen, right? So yeah. I knock, like I bite my tongue now, and I knock on the window. Yeah. yeah. 
and he is absolutely smashed, man. Like he, yeah, he yeah, the yeah. glossy eyes, huh. like just reeking of booze, huh. like the uncoordinated movement. Yeah. yeah. And he puts down the window and he looks up at me and he says to me in Punjabi, he goes, Ki galia? Right? <laughs> <laughs> like <a> bun, <laughs> like in English, what's your yeah. problem, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I'm like, what's my problem, right? <laughs> you're drunk yeah and you were driving yeah right and so i say this in punjabi to him uh, i said uh, right and you were driving and he says to me you were probably like what the hell bro? well no no i i saw it coming like it's yeah, a yeah. chess move right and uh -huh. uh, i said well what are you telling me so if you're not the driver then who was because i don't know <laughs> He goes, the guy got out and ran away. He says in Punjabi. I'm like, uh, yeah, all right. Let's go. You're coming back to the station with me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and but then it's just, listen. I mean, talk about accountability, right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Talk about, about accountability. It's like you, like, it absolutely flabbergasts me and astounds me that, and never ceases to amaze me, that even at that those ages where they're in their 50s and 60s, where most people are, when they would get it. Yeah, yeah, Like yeah, how yeah. life works that, you're still not accountable, mm. right? You like, you still don't get it. And it's yeah. just, that kind of bothers me. Where it's just like, Same. as a human being, we always have a responsibility to ourselves to evolve and transform and be better. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people, yeah, you go your whole lives like that. People around you get influenced by that. Yeah. And I don't know, like you had this opportunity that you could have done anything with and, and then it passes and it is what it is. But like, imagine but at the end, like the worst feeling is at the end where yeah. it's, um, you're in your 80s or 90s and you look back at life and regret yeah you know what the sad thing is mm -hmm. some people won't even reflect back and regret because they don't know any better they don't yeah. have that standard of reference right yeah 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 it sucks like i i'm i'm like happy that i got taught that lesson at a young age because like because like, just don't care what other people do just you know be good and also do good like you were saying you can't just be good you also have to spread good and like at least make some type of positive change right 100 percent. like i even guru nanak said that he goes yeah like, i heard that story constantly where he came across a village where they were good human beings and he goes like spread out uh, and then he came across a village where there was people that were disrespectful and discourteous and they were malicious to him and he goes sukira yeah, yeah, yeah right yeah. like stay where you are and when madonna huh. uh, asked him later on it's like what why would you do that right like why would you tell those that showed you disrespect and the other ones he goes because they're good human beings and i want them to spread out huh. right when they spread out they will share those philosophies with others and teach others good mm -hmm. i think that yeah right and that bend where they're malicious and disrespectful stay where you are stay put <laughs> don't yeah like, we don't want these because it's sticky energy up, right? it's very yeah. sticky energy yeah right? sticky energy right. i think for me like at a young age my parents used to take me to the gurdwara a lot and then they made sure i learned how to read punjabi and write it so now when i go to india every year it's cool like i can read and write but um i think it's a big philosophy like that like it's hard to get a human life and it doesn't last forever so since i was a kid i just kind of got comfortable with that idea that like i don't know like I'm gonna die one day, and like this stuff's pretty extreme. But like it's hard, and this life is valuable, and make something of it. That general notion. Uh, sorry, who's that? And you're absolutely right about that. Um, <clears throat> who's that um, scientist in the U.S.? Uh, he's he's very well known. Neil deGrasse Tyson. Him. He's all over social media the past he few days. He is, man. But it was one of his videos that came out. He goes, "When you see a beautiful flower, 
He goes, your appreciation of that flower is premised on the fact that you know that flower's life is going to end one day. Yeah. Right? That's what gives it value. It's mm, beauty yeah. at that time is something that you should capture and appreciate mm. because as you begin to water it over the days, you notice that its stem begins to wilt. Yeah. Some petals begin to fall off. Its days are very limited, yeah. which makes you appreciate it even more. Mm. He said life is the same way. Adding That's very to, deep. It's true. Adding to that, I actually saw something the other day. It was a post. It was this guy was using a dollar uh, as like American dollar as a bookmark for his book. And he's like, he's like, they're both a piece of paper, essentially. But one, like, one to me has more value based on it because it's in my eye, right? And he was saying, like, by doing this, I'm appreciating both and I'm associating value with both. Which, again, like, for some people that might be like, uh, okay, this is doing too much. But, I, like, when you think about it really, like, yeah, they both will provide value, but one actually has, like, monetary, monetary value. Right? I don't know. 100%. Could I have a whole economy talk with Cal on the next podcast? Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, <laughs> bring Cal on for it. What's the federal reserve? What's the value of money? It's <laughs> the value of life. Shit. It's the uh, meaning of life. Well, I'll tell you all about current interest rates. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. But let's not get into that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Last fun question that I have for you What's the weirdest excuse someone's given you for breaking the law? Oh, what's the funniest We kind of went out. Actually, no. No, no, no. no. Yeah. We need a, we need a, we need some, there has to be something with a, yeah. like an uncle or whether it's like some, you know, someone blatantly did a crime for you said it wasn't me. You know what, actually, it's, it's the simplest of all responses. I, I didn't know. Really? Like, think about That's this true. for Think about this for a second. Like somebody ends up smashing the window of a store and stealing yeah items from that store yeah yeah like essentially looting it yeah in the middle of the night and you catch them and like what do you think you're doing it's like it's like 4k well, camera yeah footage. it's like i didn't know like you didn't know what that breaking <laughs> and smashing the window of a store and stealing items is a crime <laughs> that stems from where everybody's yeah all the criminals and everybody's always like if you see a cop don't talk to him don't talk to him he's got your lawyer. and everybody just tries to say nothing or get a lawyer but you're caught red-handed bro like just we have at this the point. 4k camera yeah. footage right here for you yeah, like it's literally yeah. you you could show him a camera like be like this is this you no it's not me man and that's happened to me as well really oh, oh my tons God. of times it's like no that they think look, they might have that doesn't look like me. On. It's like, bro, you're wearing the same shirt. That's you. <laughs> it's like, bro, you're wearing the same shirt. Can <laughs> you change the fit? It's like, it's, like, it's like when you just deny everything and you're just like, in that state of denial. 100%. And deny, deny, so, deny, yeah, right? it's I, like, yeah, I get silly excuses all the time, but it was just like, yeah, this uncle story was probably one of the funniest. Yeah, that's hilarious. Across. It actually is. As long as <laughs> uncle's not still on the road today. Yeah, <laughs> I don't want to deal with that. Yeah, he's probably watching your podcast. Oh, yeah. well, that's me. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. All right. We, we have now? viewer submitted questions now for you, right? Sure. So we have a few. All right. So uh, one of our uh, friends, uh, The Bane Show, they have a podcast in the UK. They wanted to ask you opinions on the UK police. Because they don't have firearms there. I think that's a big thing. Yeah. You know what? It's uh, I know they have. We I work with a lot of detectives. From the UK. Oh, really? Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. There's a, quite a few of them that have transferred over from the London Met yeah. uh, or some of the other local police departments over there. Mm -hmm. And so I've, I've asked them about that, yeah. where it's like, how do you feel about that? The fact that you guys don't carry firearms. And he goes, well, we have specialty units oh, yeah. that we call upon. But there was one particular example uh, one of these officers gave me. And uh, he said it was a pharmacy robbery. Mm -hmm. The guy walked in with a knife, robbed the place. He goes, I got there on scene. Mm -hmm. He goes, I'm in my police car and get there on scene. The guy comes out with this machete. Yeah. And he comes running straight towards the car. And I said, well, what did you do? Because he didn't have his gun on him. They don't have, they don't carry. Yeah, they don't. Mm -hmm. 
he goes, I locked the doors. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, it's crazy, man. I don't know. Like, I'm, I'm like, you did what? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Smart, though. That, like, but I think some of it, yeah. Dude, the UK changed so much, man. <laughs> like, that's a robbery suspect yeah. that's just robbed a pharmacy, and he's running at you with the machete. machete, and there's members of the public that are walking around, and you lock your door. Yeah. He goes, yeah, well, what else was I supposed to do? Do they have tasers? Like, someone, no. I get this still. They, they may know. Yeah, they know. may know. Because the UK has changed a lot. I know that. Yeah. It's so crazy. Goes, I'm safe I just right got now. on the radio and called our specialty unit. Uh, the guns right so yeah really you can't blame the guy yeah you it's can't blame like, the guy at the end of the day you can only do what was he any yeah, what was, what was he really actually was cal like well, what was i supposed to do get the stabbed? guy knew that yeah <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. Fair. it right. is very common there though they have signs that like it's not even worth wearing a watch there because there's so many stabbings oh there's stabbings. <laughs> crazy in the it's a huge yeah. stab problem in london oh my god it's massive it's, it's massive. actually a serious problem different environment yeah. all right cal this is a common theme of questions um okay so obviously you're a big guy right so the the common gym bros are gonna ask you, are you on steroids? <laughs> well, just the gym bros. This is the our gym bros. I don't know. Bro. This isn't like, us. Yeah, this, this isn't, isn't us. us. We no, have the question. We can cut right this here. out if you, you don't know want to. What? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I got it. I got, it. got steroids. It. Got it. Question yeah. mark. Question mark. Got it. Yeah. This is the crazy thing is nobody knows my regiment. Yeah. How disciplined it is. Like Sandy's here. You can my wife, and you mm. can ask her as well. Yeah. yeah. Uh, every morning. 5 a.m., get up, and I do calisthenics. So that's push-ups, sit-ups, chin-ups, all that. Right. And yeah. so do about 300 of those. Mm-hmm. After that, my regiment of supplements that I take, which is uh, BCAAs, CoQ10s, glutamine, glucosamine. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have your uh, flaxseed oil pills. Yeah. So there's a regiment of supplements that I take throughout the day. Yeah. Combined with the fact that then when I do my workout later in the day, so I have two workouts per day, and yeah. this is six days a week. Yeah. Uh, later in the day, then I will do my cardio, uh, which is high intense cardio, hit training. Yeah. And then combined with weight training, so that's high reps. Yeah. And once again, I have been doing this five, six days a week for the last 23 years. That consistency, nobody can get that, bro. Point being is that I'm telling you, man, I'm not even joking about my level of discipline when it comes to that stuff because this stuff is important to me. Yeah. Like if I am going to teach kids about staying healthy, staying on the right track, doing all the right things, then it'd be remarkably hypocritical of me if I didn't also follow those, those principles and values. And with respect to my meals, I eat four whole meals per day. Yeah. Right. So obviously, uh, I'm a meat eater as well. Yeah, yeah. But my meat primarily consists of chicken breasts. Yeah, yeah. Salmon, yeah. white fish. So that's tilapia. Lean meat. Uh, and lean meat. And so a breakfast would be like six hard-boiled eggs. Yeah. Uh, no yolk. Yeah. And oh, crazy. So a handful of cashews or almonds. Mm-hmm. Uh, a banana for the potassium sources. And, yeah. And uh, a lean yogurt. So no sugar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then uh, later on in the day would be a chicken breast with white rice and broccoli yeah and so imagine doing this for five six days a week every single day you Uh, do this for 20 years you'll be like this 20 plus years five six days a week oh my god and then on top of that when i have my um, drinks that i uh, my shakes that i take into the gym that has bcas uh, that has glutamine yeah yeah that has citrulline creatine uh, and creatine as well so I combine all these powders together to make that blend. 
Yeah. To me. And so once again, that powder, you right. have to, like if somebody sees, and this is what I want to teach everybody. Like there is a large segment of the population that is under the belief that if you're muscular and you're big, yeah. that can only be done through roids. Yeah. And yeah. the answer is no. Yeah. You can do it naturally. I've competed at very high levels. I've competed uh, in the police world fire games and powerlifting. That was here in Vancouver, and I placed top five in the world. Yeah. And so think about this. It's just like if you live your life with that level of discipline, eating the same things day in and day out, yeah. most people would like, this is stupid. They yeah. would get bored, and they'd be like, forget that, right? Like, I uh, don't get me wrong. Like, I'd go insane if I didn't have my cheat meals. Yeah, same. Right? You need that burger yeah, or whatever yeah. every now and again. Same. But every now and again, not all the time. Yeah. And so, like, whereas... That I might be presented with an option where, like, my buddies might be throwing a party or a poker game or whatever. Like, they're come like, no, you know what? That cuts into my workout time, and I'm going to be there instead. You got to like, be that guy. Most people I've, just be like, yeah. And I've been like that yeah. since I was 18, 19. You never felt like you missed out. I, no. People I will say that to you. They'll be like, don't you no, feel like you're missing out? If you think about it, right, it's just like where I am in life right now. I got 23 years of policing. Not everyone can. I'm do sitting this. at seven percent body fat. Yeah. I yeah. Can, like my bench press is yeah. <laughs> decent. That's right? insane. But point being is that it's just like when I was doing the world powerlifting, uh, when I was doing the world's powerlifting stuff, then my bench press was upwards about 450. Holy. Yeah, right. And so my deadlift was about 700 pounds. That's crazy. And crazy. so squats was actually quite impressive too. But I was training specifically for that purpose. Yeah. But I'm telling you, it's that mental resilience. Yeah, where more than the physical element, like I've mentally trained myself. But you don't hit snooze. Eat, sleep, breathe that lifestyle day in and day out. Yeah, every single day. Like it's just think about it when you do that over and over and over again. How's your you're sleep? gonna get those results. Yeah. yeah. How's your sleep? Do you still so, if you wake up at five a.m. Yeah, but sleep, sleep I'm very particular about where yeah. I need to get that between that six to eight hour range yeah. every single night. And if I don't get it, yeah, granted I'm cranky, yeah. but I'll try taking that nap throughout the day. Not even make, after a Red Bull? Point. What's that? Well, this, yeah, you know what? I <laughs> barely touch these. Yeah. Last Red Bull I had was probably about a year ago. Oh, I feel bad and now so for not I having have, anything else. No, no, it's all good. So I have my two cups of coffee per day. Okay. So uh, normally I have that one cup in the morning and one cup later in the afternoon. Mm. Yeah. That's the pick me up. Use lunch, yeah. And so that'll be good for the rest of the day. That's crazy. That's there it. You go. There you Moral go. Moral of the story: Cal don't hit snooze. Cal don't complain. Cal, Cal eats good. Do yeah, that, like and you'll be huge. People me crazy. Like it's just. Uh, the I do a thing, lot of right? outside training as well. Athletes yeah. are so all crazy like, to an extent. You have to be. Yeah. yeah. Right. Like it's uh, there'll be snowfall, and yeah. I'll go running. Yeah. Right. Yeah, like yeah, point yeah. being, it's like those people. Your parents will sleep. Like, like, what's this guy doing? Yeah, that's <laughs> what you're saying. Like, get a selfie. I am. At the end of the day, the entire game is food. Yeah, that's right? essence like of being a sick. Eighty percent of the game is food. It is. Yeah. The muscles are made in the kitchen. They are. Right. And so you can work out as high. I remember this one guy coming up to me in the gym, they see guy, and he goes, "Body muscle ni wardey." Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay. Like, he goes, mm-hmm. I was like, okay, well, what do you eat? Uh-huh. Like, give me an example. Like, for example, you're going to finish here. Mm-hmm. You're going to go home, and what are you going to eat? Can I to finish okay? My car jacket, egg bowl, rice krispies, the honey. I'm like, that's, that's your problem right there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
and people just don't know and they don't they know don't. like you know what and you can't get upset at them either yeah. just like okay look uh, well, they're all the guys that I've taken into the gym with me like I always sit them down and teach them mm-hmm. yeah it's a good thing and give them proper programs like follow That's this sweet, man. right and the most important thing is discipline 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 yeah. consistency, yeah. consistency consistency and everybody starts somewhere I was so lost in the gym when I just started not knowing what to do not knowing what to eat it takes time and like so much failure like especially not eating meat and learning and like I counted calories for all of this past summer and after that I felt like I kind of knew how much you had not eat and I was getting annoyed with calorie counting but I still mm-hmm. think I eat about that much but it's a journey, man. It is. It's a journey. All right. I have a question. Another one from a viewer. It's, uh, are the ticket quotas real? Like, are ticket Because this is something that a lot of people are curious about for police, right? Because I'm like, I'm just getting a ticket for no reason. Like, are, are they counting ticket quotas? Like, what's going on here? No. You know what it is? Is our traffic section, that is their specific job. Yeah. Is ensuring traffic safety. Yeah. And yeah. with any other cop, like, you know, I'm not a traffic cop. Yeah. So I can count on one hand how many tickets I've handed out over my career. Okay. Like okay. It, my big thing was if you're a real jerk and you've mm. made a massive gross violation of traffic laws, yeah. I'll pull you over I'll, just to confirm that you're okay. Like yeah, you're, yeah. Not, you're not drunk or impaired or anything of that yeah. sort. Check your driver's license. Make sure there's no significant history of driving infractions. Yeah, really yeah. And then I would always end it with a warning and just say, hey, look, just don't do that again. Then you get two types of drivers. You get the first driver that are respectful and say, thank you, officer. It won't happen again, I assure you. Right? And that's that. Yeah. Right? Then you get the other type that are arrogant. It's like, like, I did not make a mistake. You were mistaken. That sort of thing. Like, when you get that jerk kind of attitude. Yeah, yeah, it's like, yeah. It's like, right, I'm going to take it. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's accountability. <laughs> like, it's just like, yeah. I'm not, like, I'm not being a goof. Yeah. Like, I'm actually very respectful. I, I was actually going to give you a warning on it. I'm explaining to you. What you did, right? What you did and yeah. what I saw. Like, I didn't make it up. Hmm. right like if it's a gross violation you could have put somebody else's safety in jeopardy yeah, yeah. i'm gonna talk to you about it yeah and all you need to say is hey i made a mistake i'm sorry yeah. right so it's people that hate accountability yeah i'm not even looking for an apology just like be accountable yeah right? just just recognize that it was uh-huh. a mistake that's all all right okay so that's been it for the viewer discussion questions we appreciate every single one of you guys for sending them in but before we you know continue on with the final remarks of the top of uh, the podcast i wanted to ask you so you had you said you had a story about Sidhu Musala. yeah so I was selected by the Vancouver Whitecaps uh, as what's known as a MLS, which is the Major League Soccer Community Superstar. Yeah. So every MLS team had to select one candidate from their community that is doing something to promote the game of soccer amongst youth. Uh-huh. Yeah. So I got selected by the Vancouver Whitecaps. And so what they do is they would take all these candidates and they would send them off to the MLS superstar game and wherever it was being held that year so they sent me to orlando we're flying back to vancouver and we had a stopover at toronto pearson and so as we're walking around toronto pearson about to catch our next flight there's sidhu with his feet propped up on a chair <laughs> oh sorry no no worries. You're good, you're good. no worries you got that yeah and his hands behind his head like that and he's lounging just right? chilling just yeah. chilling uh with his parents So his mom and dad are sitting there and so is he. Mm. And you'll find this picture going viral all over the place now. Apparently a lot of people have it now and they've posted it all over the place. Yeah. Where it was a picture of me, Sidhu, his mom and dad. All four of us together at Toronto Pearson. Yeah. That's so sick. And so I tell Karen, who's our president of Kids Play and that was with me, and say, that's Sidhu, right? And she's like, really? Like we do a double take. It's like, yeah, that's him. So I walk up to him. I'm like, 
hell yeah. Like, I'm yeah, going to go yeah, talk yeah, to yeah, him. Yeah. And so uh, I'm like, hey, man, it's just, uh, you're absolutely amazing. And I just wanted to have a few words with you. And he was very respectful, super respectful. And yeah. he was like, I'm the so bad you can say. Like, it's just like <laughs> really down to earth, humble kind of guy. Right. Uh, and considering a superstar status, like there was no arrogance there. No yeah, ego. No like, yeah, he no. was just like a everyday run of the mill kind of guy. Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, I introduced myself to his parents too. And then I got to talking to all of them. I said, hey, look, you know, here's who I am and here's what I do. And Sidhu, you have a remarkable influence on kids with your lyrics and your words. How did you always feel about all that? I'm sorry? About his lyrics. A lot of people would say his lyrics were negative. Well, this is where I'm about to go with this. Mm. I'm like, you are a phenomena. Like, you have created your own genre. And there's nobody else like you. Like, you, honestly, you have been given a gift. Mm. Right? And your music is literally changing the world. Mm. Like, you're... Your songs uh, that are clean, so to speak, are remarkably powerful. Hmm. But the ones where you promote uh, gangsterism or thuggery or anything of that sort, I'm telling you, you're having a negative influence on kids because hmm. you know what? Some kids might be prone and susceptible yeah. uh, and impressionable to the message hmm. that you're giving to them. Some might listen to it just as music, hmm. yeah. right? If they listen to it as just as music, Great. Like yeah. we're going to, we listen to it. We're going to leave it here. That's uh, the end of that. Yeah. But others, it might instigate. Yeah. Might provoke. Uh, yeah. Right? You, were, you were telling us like the kids, some of them was jot down. Like you were telling them every time they talk to a kid about a crime or something, they give you that like excuse or something. Or yeah. some kids would, right? hundred percent. And so I said to him, I said, look, if you've been given such a remarkable gift and there's nobody else like you, mm. then you also have a responsibility. Yeah. Right? Like to utilize in that such a way that you can change lives. Yeah. Right. So take your message, make it even more powerful, but do it in such a way that's constructive. Yeah. That's changing mm -hmm. lives for the yeah, better. For sure. And what he's done with the farmers movement and all that other stuff, man, I'm telling you, like this guy was a rock star. Literally, mm -hmm. like, like untouchable. Yeah, untouchable. Yeah. Like he was at that level, like he was stratospheric. Yeah. And so he listened to my message um. and you know what? I'm telling you, he was so receptive yeah. and embracing. He's like, yeah, you're right. He goes, but Mami Tonaka Galdasanayan. He said this to me. Mami Tonaka Galdasanayan. Yeah. Kinda problem here, Paji, keep Bekadai here. Kindaya came out, we Koshkadriya, Jokos Bekadai. Kinda met Todigan. It's realistic. Yeah, met Todigan Mandayam, a Samatim. He agreed. He goes, my Samatim. He goes, but when Mami Kikaram, Kinda Kalakar Hunde Nate, being an artist, I also have to uh, create a source of financial income for myself, right? Yeah. And he goes, it's not just art, it's also my life. Right? The lives that people are yeah, living in gangs. 100%. And, stuff. and so he said, uh, like, what do you, well, what can I do? How do I maintain that balance? And I said, well, that's up to you to decide. Like, I'm going to be, I, what I need to say, I got off my chest. Huh. I always wanted to say this to you. Huh. And uh, like I said before, there's no such thing as a coincidence. And the universe conspired that our paths intersected today. And I was going to make the most of it. Oh, yeah, right, and true. I had to get this message out to you, and the rest, what you do, is on you, right? But I, I always had respect for him. You know what? Honestly, he was a good guy. He was a really good guy with a good heart, and yeah. he was very respectful. And his parents were so respectful, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So uh, yeah, it's tragic it what's is. happened with him. And uh, you know what? Like I said, 
had he lived, he would have gone on to change the world to even greater heights. Yeah, yeah he would have. He was brilliant. And then um, I think you do meet people for a reason because that's insane. Like you had that thing on your chest and then you ran him and ran into him at the airport. Yeah. Also, what a flight. Like you go from Florida to Vancouver and you stop in Toronto. Yeah. That's a very like out of the ways. Well, no, Florida's on that side too, right? So yeah, Florida's yeah, on yeah. the East Coast. Yeah, if you it's think going about towards it. back that side. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so they'll go to Toronto and then from Toronto they'll catch it over to Vancouver. Yeah. yeah. So the Musala taught me a lot about legacy because when I went to India in November, it was crazy. Every single car that I sat in, the driver was still playing his songs and they were all talking about like he was going to be the greatest. But then at the same time, like his songs that were very positive, people would start resonating with him so much. I would talk to everybody about him because it would just be what was playing and what we would talk about. And like his positive messages about like caring for your parents and like how much love he had for his mom, like things like that. So that's crazy because even though he is gone, seeing the effect that he has on the world, it motivates me to also like do something amazing to have a legacy. Yeah, man, it's all about legacy. Yeah. This entire game is about leaving a legacy. Yeah. It's yeah. not about you, mm. right? It's about what you can do. And what you can affect, right? Yeah. What you can affect, right? That footprint that you leave in this world. I was listening to some business advice actually. And if some guy, but he had a really good point. He was like, if you're asking somebody who's in the same business as you and they're like your age, they're like under 50, 60, they're going to give you great advice, but they're going to hold a few things back. They're secrets that are really making them, you know, that extra, that top dog. But he's like, you talk to somebody over 60, 70, you realize that at that point that your life is about the legacy you leave behind. And they'll tell you after they exited that industry, everything they did, how they did it, what doors to open. And it really hit me how most people think of legacy later on. But if we can think about it from now on. And that's actually, that was the philosophy I adopted where it's not about my personal success. Yeah. It's not about any titles or status that I collect. It's about sharing every single thing that I know to help others be successful. All right, Cal, it's been a pleasure. That's having, crazy. It's been a that's pleasure sweet. having you on. Honestly, this is like, this is for us has been like, honestly, just as much as in, it's been super enjoyable for us. Hopefully yeah as well, right sure but uh before we end off the pod i just want to ask you two questions so uh what did you think about the podcast and what's some advice that you have for uh kids that want to get into policing or want to have any type of career advancement in policing uh, you know what i am so answering your first question i'm so happy that you guys are doing this mm-hmm. it's a remarkable platform yeah you two are absolutely brilliant thank I you do. absolutely Appreciate love you guys you so. but you. it's just by providing this kind of platform especially on uh important topics yeah. it, it's important to disseminate information to the wider audience, Hmm. right? Because sometimes you never know who's listening, right? And just maybe a single sentence or a word can have a ripple effect in their lives, Mm -hmm. which sets them off on the right path. Yeah. And that's what this, this is all about. And by creating this platform, you guys are not only addressing some of the lighter stuff in the community, but some of the more important stuff as well yeah, yeah. and uh, you guys are making an impact on the next generation mm-hmm. so that's the thank answer you. to your first question appreciate thank it thank you, so thank you. Yeah. and secondly with respect to advice three things uh if you want our interest in law enforcement and i tell all my volunteers the same thing think about it as a, the points of a triangle there's three major points yeah you have volunteering you have education and you have work history yes right okay. so all three points should be equally balanced and are equally important yeah. okay and in the middle of that triangle you have uh, morality, ethics, uh, good friend circle, right? And your overall good human being mm. and clean record. In other clean words, record, yeah. Say, yeah, right? Sure. So, uh, but volunteering extremely important because what is policing at the end of the day, you're giving back to the community. It's a form of civil service, yeah. right? You're putting on a uniform, not for the paycheck, mm. but you're putting on a uniform so you can legitimately go out there and make a difference. Yeah. Community service. And yeah. then, uh, education higher education as far as i'm concerned is extremely important because it helps you think critically Mm. like if without education it's very rare that you'll find somebody 
with the capacity to understand some of the deeper topics uh, through different lenses. Mm. And I think it's important to be able to stand in somebody else's perspective and look at it from that point of view. Mm. Yeah. And because that allows you a 360 all-encompassing type of perspective mm-hmm. and to look at life from different points of view, right? As opposed to just going through your entire life, just thinking about it, things, just thinking about things one way, one dimensionally. Yeah. And then with the work history, work history is important from a couple of points of view. It shows you, it'll show the employer how committed you are, uh, what kind of leadership roles that you took mm. yeah. and what sacrifices you were willing to make. Right. And it gives uh, the employer a very good snapshot Okay. of your character and who yeah. you are as a person. Mm-hmm. And so these are three major points that are important. The other big thing is uh, there's a lot of kids that want to become cops. Yo, yo, yo. Oh, yo, yo. Cop, I want to be 5-0, yo. Right? Yeah, yeah. Like, I get a lot of that. Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, so, yo, do you like, do you, how often do you shoot your gun? That sort of stuff. It's just like, how often are you in car chasing? They see the TV side of it. Like, they, yeah, that's, that's what, what I was about to say. These, they see the Scarface, glamorized, romanticized yeah. version of gangsters and policing and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And these guys think that's what it's all about. A lot 80, of it. Just, 80% yeah. of the time is paper uh, report writing. Yeah. <laughs> right. And so you, you got to keep that fine balance and perspective, right? Mm. It's not just about... Uh, patrol tactics and being operational it's about also the other stuff about being a good investigator yeah. right? which comes with time yeah, yeah, you're sure. obviously you're not born with this yeah. and you learn it through experience but getting out there learning the basics of policing how mm-hmm. to interact with people how to investigate files uh, running major calls uh, yeah. being yeah. part of a major call all this sort of stuff uh, so when you learn the the bread and butter of policing yeah. which normally takes about five years of patrol experience yeah. only then then you can graduate mm. personally i believe only then you should graduate to some of the more specialized sections mm. yeah all right it's do amazing. you have before we like finally just sign off do you have any other questions for us cal no i don't uh, but my only advice uh to all the youth out there is get involved with your community Right, mm, get, it's just uh, day. I don't think everybody realizes the value of volunteering until you do it. Yeah, and when you have done it, it's the best feeling in the world. Yeah, because you find a sense of peace and self fulfillment. It's just scary at first to get out there, but once you're out there, you're like, holy! I was just overthinking the stuff at home. Yeah, like in my bed, right? Like, yeah, I'm telling you, it's so easy. Like once you get out there and once you start making a difference, yeah. like imagine sometimes the smallest action in somebody's life. Uh, might lead to remarkable changes. Yeah. yeah. And so for you, it was nothing, but for them, it was the world. Mm. For so, sure. There you go. All right, cool. Appreciate every single one of you guys for tuning in for another episode of the HBM podcast. We appreciate Cal for coming on. Thank you so much. Uh, it's been us. <laughs> appreciate you guys. Thank See you, you next time. Peace out. Peace. Peace out.